You're listening to the Party in My Plants podcast, and you're about to get concrete evidence slash proof slash inspiration that wellness is a journey, not a destination. Whatever. Some cliches are true. I mean, really, boys will be boys. And you actually can make lemonade out of lemons when life gives them to you. You can also make lemon water, which is great for your digestion and your skin and your bowel movements and avoiding getting sick as a dog. All right. In a nutshell, let's get into this episode and let the good times roll. Welcome to the Party in My Plants podcast, where I make healthy living as fun as a party so you'll, you know, actually want to do it and then actually feel, look, and live your best. I'm your host, Talia Pollock. Now let's get this party started. This episode of the Party in My Plants podcast is pumped to be sponsored by my Eat More Plants email program. It's actually technically my hashtag Eat More Plants program. Oh, and it's actually technically and truthfully 100% free. If you believe that upping the amount of fruits and veggies flying into your mouth is hard, sucky, annoying, or expensive, then you are doing it completely Wrong. Like really, really wrong. Because eating more plants isn't the pits. It's actually no big deal. But eating more plants will make your life feel like a nonstop party. Because having endless energy, glowing skin, pants in an appropriate size, positive mojo, less lethargy, and barely any bloat on a daily basis makes you feel as happy as an Oscar winner feels at an Oscar after party. Except you're encouraged to eat food and to skip the spray tan. So my free seven-day Eat More Plants email class will show you how to eat healthier without hating your life. Each day for a week, you'll get a new Eat More Plants lesson right in your inbox, teaching you one completely doable trick to get more plants into your bod. No ifs, ands, buts, or juicers required. You literally have nothing to lose. You've heard that the class is free right? So I'm just going to stop talking and tell you to go to partyinmyplants.com slash eat dash more dash plants. The dash is, you know, the little line. So hyphen eat dash. I don't know. What would you call it? Eat line, little line, horizontal line, more horizontal line plants to get the $0 email course and start eating more plants right now. So you know how like adopting all the healthy habits that we're told to adopt can be incredibly overwhelming and stressful and confusing and like social life destroying? Well, my guest today totally knows that or knew that, which is why she completely ignored her doctor when they diagnosed her with an autoimmune disease in her early 20s. Well, flash forward to not so long ago, and Phoebe Lapine's body and skin were not going to let her ignore her diagnosis any longer. She needed to do healthy stuff. Stacked. But instead of just appalling her life in one fell swoop, Phoebe, who was already a cookbook author, chef, culinary instructor, speaker, and blogger at FeedMePhoebe.com, decided to take a full year implementing one healthy habit at a time 
so she could see which ones were really worth the hype and the sacrifice. Thankfully, Phoebe didn't keep her health experiment all to herself. She chronicled it in her new terrific, hilarious, so fun to read book called The Wellness Project. And lucky for us, she deep dives into her wellness odyssey in this here podcast episode. Phoebe, thank you so much for coming on the Party in My Plants podcast. Thanks for having me. Oh, man. I feel like we just hung out for weeks and weeks because I've been reading your book and it's so well written and it's so personable and funny and awesome. And I just feel like we've been hanging out because I've been hanging out with your words. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, that is the ideal reaction. I'm so glad. (laughs) (laughs) It's awesome. So your book is called The Wellness Project. And it's, you know, much more than just a book. It's a project, really. And I'm curious, you know, right off the bat, how did you come up with the idea to write The Wellness Project? I know it was inspired by Gretchen Rubin's The Happiness Project, right? It was. Um, So there was an epiphany moment that came many months after the original seed of a kind of a happiness project for your health was planted. I don't know how far back you want me to go, but um, the idea for the book stemmed from the idea to actually apply this sort of project, this new approach to my health, um, to my life. And that started you know, seven years prior to even the light bulb moment when I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I didn't really know what an autoimmune disease was, didn't know what a thyroid was. I think most people don't. I really think most people don't. I couldn't locate my thyroid. It's like in my, uh, my neck area, right? Like my, that's correct. The base of your neck. Like think of like a lady Adam's apple. Yeah. That's what Um, I was just pointing to as I was describing it to you. And if you have Hashimoto's or I guess, yes, mostly Hashimoto's because that's where the inflammation really comes in. But, um, I know that there are certain doctors who specialize in Hashimoto's who can like see a Hashi's person from across the room just because you have a bit of swelling in that Adam's apple area. Um, but yes, so I got this diagnosis. I had no idea what it meant. My doctor presented basically just one solution, which was to go on medication. And for whatever reason, I wasn't, you know, into healthy living at the time I was 22. I was decidedly not into healthy living, (laughs) Uh, but for whatever reason was just like, okay, the idea of being on medication for the rest of my life is not something I want to sign up for. And at the time I wasn't experiencing that many symptoms yet. So I just walked out the door and decided to go on living my life. Like that conversation had never happened. (laughs) And then of course began the slow and steady downward spiral. Right. In which, you know, a whole host of symptoms that are typical to a thyroid going severely off the rails began to appear. Mm -hmm. Um, I was so exhausted all the time. I actually lost a lot of weight. Um, well, there were fluctuations along the way, but at the beginning I lost weight, which is not typical Hashimoto's. Usually when you have hypothyroidism, which means you have a slow functioning thyroid, usually you put on pounds, mm-hmm. but um, we can get more into this later. For, but it's important I, It's important for, to, for me to say because it does happen to people and I think it can be a disconnect since most people are used to gaining weight with Hashimoto's. But anyway, so. Well, tell me first, what is Hashimoto's? Also, is that named after like a dude? It sounds like that's a guy's name. 
I think it is a guy, <laughs> a doctor from Japan, That's who discovered like. <laughs> this autoimmune condition. I wish I had the year for you, but it was a while ago. Okay. And so, yes, it is an autoimmune condition in which your body attacks um, your thyroid gland, and that causes it to swell. It causes it to slow down, and it's not able to produce these essential thyroid hormones that are responsible for um, regulating your metabolism and providing energy for your cells. So autoimmune disorders in general are disorders and diseases when your body attacks some sort of thing in itself. So it can be your, it can, there's a whole slew of them. I mean, you wrote that 50 million people suffer from autoimmune diseases. Yeah. And there are somewhere around 80 different kinds. Oh, geez. I know. And so, yeah, they, they all affect different parts of the body. And that's one reason why, unlike cancer, where there's kind of this like blanket condition, um, because you can call it cancer, um, autoimmune diseases, you know, no one, unless you have them really realizes that it is an autoimmune condition. So, I mean, it's MS, it's rheumatoid arthritis, it's lupus. So you have to kind of outrule all those things to kind of come to the conclusion that you do have an autoimmune disorder? Like, how do you find it out that you have an autoimmune disease? There are tests um, for certain ones. um, But one reason why celiac disease, which is another autoimmune condition where um, your body attacks the VLI in your intestines, um, one reason why that has increased in numbers. It's also actually just increased in numbers because more people have celiac disease, but it used to be a biopsy back in the day, which was really invasive. And now there's a blood test for it, but all of these things are, are evolving. And just why I brought up the cancer example is because I think it's, it's such a decentralized condition, even though like most autoimmune diseases are more alike in their nature than they are different. Um, I think it's, yeah, that's why some of the research is a bit behind Mm. on them in general. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So you got your diagnosis and you were like, I'm going to ignore it. And you tried. (laughs) And then your body was like, uh, 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 you're not ignoring this. And you just started to basically unravel, just feel like crap, essentially, head to toe. (laughs) Essentially. And the, the thing that got me in the door of a doctor was it basically hurt every time I ate. I was doubled over in pain and in the fetal position and experiencing all manner of gastrointestinal (laughs) trauma and discomfort. So you were in the fetal position every time you ate. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's not normal. That's enough to and send I was you a to a doctor. Writer, so. Oh, perfect. <laughs> and an aspiring chef. So yeah, it was an occupational hazard. <laughs> and it was also just a really sad way to live one's life, especially when you love food so much. Yeah. But at the same time, I think I, I feared that I had some sort of food allergy and just didn't want to acknowledge that. Right. I was really hoping for like tapeworm, something like that. <laughs> that like probably that is not could get fixed too. and go away. I understand. Yeah. When I was going through my own digestive health struggle, like I wanted it to be an easy solution, like something I could just zap, take, I don't even care, just take a few pills and then move on with my life. The worst possible scenario for me, what it sounds like for you too, is like realizing, no, this is something you're going to have to live with forever. And for you, it was number one was gluten, right? You realize you really could not tolerate gluten. Yes. So the first, um, first doctor I saw in the more in the holistic field, um, did elimination diet. He did some blood work and it was clear that gluten was the culprit. He didn't explain, however, that gluten is the culprit for 
most Hashimoto's people uh, because the gluten protein and the thyroid protein look really similar. So it's kind of a chicken or the egg situation when your body's having this inflammatory autoimmune response, it can't mistake friend from foe and certainly can't mistake gluten from thyroid. So Weird. if you eat gluten, it's, it's going to um, mean more self attacks on your thyroid and if your body's already attacking your thyroid, it means gluten is probably a problem for you. Weird. That's so weird. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, once it was something that I actually didn't even understand fully until going down this road of my wellness project, which was, a, you know, many years after I first dipped my foot into the kind of world of food as medicine and changing my diet in the name of my autoimmune disease. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was just a huge a huge overhaul in my, my process of thinking even about taking gluten out of my diet, because I was not going to lie, not perfect on that front until right. the wellness project. So yeah. So, okay. So then you decide, well, how did you decide to start the wellness project? Cause it sounds like you'd known about your autoimmune disease for a while and you were kind of like loosely eliminating gluten, but then it sounds like something must have happened for you to go full throttle for a full year <laughs> overhaul of your health. Well, yes, Talia, my skin was a disaster and oh. vanity turned out was my biggest motivator. So I like how honest you are. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it is for a lot of people, although I think for a lot of people, there's a huge disconnect between the external chaos and the internal chaos. And there definitely was mm -hmm. for me. So I had, again, started seeing more holistic practitioners, seeing an acupuncturist, seeing an endocrinologist who is this lovely, crazy Greek woman who told me I had to like basically detoxify my whole life and throw out all the contents of my apartment in favor of like unbleached cotton and baking soda. And meanwhile, like my skin was still a mess. I was still going to the traditional dermatologist and taking antibiotics. I mean, it's just, I look back and I'm like, oh, it was all so obvious. But mm. I think, yeah. And this is coming from someone who is working as like a quote unquote healthy living professional on the food side of things. Yeah. So yeah, eventually with the skin and also with you know, trying to adopt some of these other changes that just felt super overwhelming. And like, again, like I was having to turn my life upside down overnight and spend money that I didn't have. And yeah, I just felt like my big question that I kept asking at the end of the day was like, well, how do I do right by my body without giving up my life, without giving up my social wellness, my financial wellness, what have you. So it was a friend that, you know, many months before had like planted the seed, like, I don't even know how it came up. I think it was when I was just like talking about my health struggles. She was like, what if you did something like, you know, what Gretchen Rubin did, but ah. for your body. And then, yeah, it was after like all this, the skin stuff and just reaching a breaking point that that little seed like came to <laughs> roost in my yeah. mind. Like, you know what? Yeah, <laughs> I'm cool. going to do that. <laughs> That's awesome. So then how did you lay it out? I mean, it seems so organized. Did you know ahead of time that you were going to turn it into a book? Um, yes. I, I always wanted that to be the case. I wrote a cookbook that came out six years ago and I've always wanted to write another book. And I knew that it was going to take shape on my site, obviously, because I'm a blogger and I live my life by way of my URL, Feed Me TV. <laughs> but um, no, it just in kind of dealing with this struggle, 
I knew that I wanted, you know, to, that it was going to be important not to just like talk about what worked, what didn't, but to really tell a story. Cause those were honestly the books like over the course of my research that resonated the most with me. And I just didn't really feel like there was anyone out there who was speaking to me. I felt like everyone was, you know, either doctors preaching these 21 day protocols and saying it's so easy. You can like live disease free for the rest of your life if you just do X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And then there was, you know, this other group of like green goddesses on Instagram who (laughs) made all of these things look so easy. And I was just like, why is no one talking about the fact that like the struggle is real? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And I love that you say that it tells a story because when I first got your book, I opened it up and I read the inside flap and the back inside flap. And I'm like, this feels like a, like a thriller. It's really cool because it's written like a story, but it's also full of tips and actual tangible things that the reader can go and do to improve their health while you really take us on like a ride. So it's such an interesting hybrid of a book. And I agree that, you know, there's not enough people out there talking about the struggle is real, like how to be healthy without it totally sucking, which is what I stand for. And it's so nice to find somebody else that stands for the exact same thing. Yeah. And I think more, you know, the more anyone shares their vulnerability, it gives others the license to do the same or the confidence to do the same. So yeah. And yeah, it's just the reason why I wanted to write a book is because I didn't think there was a book out there that really like fit the bill for me. And I'm so glad you recognize that it is this kind of weird hybrid because that's what I set out to create. Because even, I mean, I did, I read so many books over the course of researching the book. Um, and, you know, I drank some green tea and stayed awake for them. But <laughs> a lot of the doctor's ones, there would be these small pockets of them telling the story of how they got into, you know, whatever kind of like holistic angle of their fields. Um, many of them, you know, had traditional like Western medicine backgrounds. And there was always kind of this underlying like personal tale of how they arrived at their practice. And those were always the parts that I found the most interesting. Mm -hmm. And the rest, you know, great information underlined a lot. But Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I just felt it was really important to share my experience in a way that wasn't just um, a prescription because ultimately and like the hypothesis going into it was I really don't think that there is a, like a one-size-fits-all solution for everyone and I think the reason why I needed to go through this process of kind of trying on all these practices for size through my wellness project is the same reason why I think everyone could use a wellness project. Okay. Yeah. Well, that was going to be one of my questions. Do you think that everyone can use a wellness project? And, you know, how does one come up with, with their own? Are there ways to do it that's not like a full year overhaul? Definitely. So I actually just did a little mini challenge with my book launch team. Uh, We called it four weeks to wellness. And it was just kind of like this micro wellness project, just focusing in on dedicating one month to overhauling one area of your health and choosing four small baby steps to get you there. So if it's sleep, you know, there are so many things that you can use to reach that goal. Um, So it's like trying them on seeing what actually works. But then also what I call hedonism. My philosophy is Yeah, let's get into that, please. You definitely talk a lot about healthy hedonism or being healthy hedonist. So yeah, tell us what that is. 
Okay. Well, so in short, like my official definition, which I've just arrived at, <laughs> like I wish I had arrived at it officially when I was writing the book, but oh, so it's um, what I like to think of the balance between the things that nourish your body and the things that feed your spirit. Mm. And the latter can really be anything. I'm not just talking about like hedonism in terms of like French fries and wine, though you know, they feed my spirit sometimes, but yeah, yeah, they do. Um, but no, just like kind of thinking about all of the things that, you know, there's room for, because when we add something good or bad, it means that there's automatically going to be less room for something else, good or bad. Mm -hmm. So I really want to evaluate not just the health benefits of each of these practices, but also like how they fit into my life, what other things were added or taken away. Was there just pure and simple enjoyment of the process? Did it affect my social wellness and my time with friends? Did it cost like X amount of money? And like, did it, you know, scheduling wise, just like take up so much time that I just didn't feel like I had room for other enjoyments. Um, so yeah, just weighing, weighing all of those things in the pro con list, as well as the health benefits, because I think, you know, people can get too caught up on just being healthy on paper. Mm-hmm. And maybe at the end of the day, realizing or not realizing that doing so is causing a lot of stress. Right. And as someone who's autoimmune, and I actually, I think for people in general, but especially for people who are autoimmune, I think stress is like so much worse for you than any pesticide, any like- Oh, you're your speaking my language. <laughs> yes. A hundred percent. You can eat all the plants you want, but if you're stressed about eating them, it like practically negates the benefits of them. Exactly. So yes. So to me, that's hedonism is, you know, evaluating all of those things because there are so many practices out there nowadays. And, you know, many of these practices have been around for centuries. Just we're, we're just hearing about them constantly in our uh, wellness newsletters in our inbox, but you know, it can be, it can be overwhelming. It's impossible to do everything. And I think when we strive for that sort of perfection or we feel guilty like and filled with shoulds about all of these mm. practices that we're not adopting, yeah, I mean, it kind of, yeah, negates the <laughs> the pursuit of health. Totally. So, yeah, so your book, essentially, that what you're saying, a healthy hedonist is someone that finds a balance of health and happiness. Right. And that is, you know, happiness is so individual. Health is so individual. The combination, of course, individual. So, yes, it's just about trial and error to get to that place. But what I think like is so important for in just like crafting your own project, like the timeline is not as important. Again, it can be four weeks, it can be, you know, 12 months, what have you. But it's the idea of going one, one baby step at a time, Mm -hmm. because you can't really flesh out the benefits, you know, for your health or your hedonism, if you're trying to grab at straws and pile everything on. And that's right. also when people, I think, just get so overwhelmed and fed up that they end up doing nothing. Or rebelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. So let's talk about the healthy habits that you decided on. And you decided on 12, which did you just do that to try to find one for every month? Or how did you come up with 12? Yeah, well, it actually ended up being more like 11, 12, like the 12th month was kind of putting it all together. And also just like, finding the road forward, because I didn't want to be, you know, too gimmicky. Mm -hmm. The idea was really, again, to like find my, my food and health rules going forward for the long haul. Um, So I didn't have everything be cumulative. And yeah, I actually I had 12 to begin with, but I ended up not doing a month on hair. (laughs) 
<laughs> on hair. <laughs> on hair. Yes. Um, I did a month on green beauty and hair kind of ended up like falling into that. Yeah, so, yeah. I would think a special answer, month just for hair. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot. So I, I wanted to do, and I still have yet to explore this, but hair, an upstairs, downstairs story. Ooh, Look ooh, out for that. that could be a little mini sequel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> E-book. Yes, I was more obsessed with the name of the challenge and the challenge itself. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I did sound a lot more organized than I was when I actually like set out to do this. I had like a rough outline, like a rough outline of those, those 11 slash 12 areas, but I hadn't really decided on the experiments for each of them. There was so much research that I needed to do along the way. Um, I arrived at my first experiment by way of a recommendation from one of the holistic practitioners I was seeing, which you'll have to read the book. I won't get into that. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so the first challenge kind of like fell in my lap. And then from there, I just like via my own journey, um, especially since I started off with kind of like skin being one of my parameters of success. Mm-hmm. Um, I did green beauty next and well let's go through them. I have a plan. I have a plan here. We're gonna play a little game. It's called Habit, huh? Happiest moment and hack. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. So I'm gonna name each of the healthy habits that you implemented during your wellness project and you'll tell me, huh? Like what it looked like, your happiest moment that resulted from that habit, and a hack that we can all steal and try out for size. Oh my God. Great. This is, I mean, what a quiz. (laughs) (laughs) We'll go one by one. No pressure. You like have a million hacks. So I don't think this will be challenging. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So the first one you did was your vice detox, right? Four weeks without caffeine, alcohol, or added sugar. Yes. So that was probably like the most intense one of all of them. Um, But I think that the three were really important to do in tandem because if you think about it, if you eliminate, you know, the late night of drinking, you don't really have as much of a need for the caffeine the next morning. And then if you're not eating like a sugary lunch, then you're also not as much in need of the caffeine. And I think also not drinking, you're just like less likely to make bad food choices like eating sugar. So yeah, those three very intense, but um, they were supposed to be a real jumpstart for my liver. I called it the vice detox, but um, it was really an a- aimed at um, giving my liver a reboot. And I actually, I realized in retrospect, you know, how smart it was that I started <laughs> nice. there. Good job. Because yeah, it's our second largest organ. It is our, you know, main organ of detoxification. It also has like, you know, a hundred other chores. Our liver is amazing. Our yeah. poor livers. I know, um, seriously. <laughs> yeah. And so like, if your liver isn't functioning optimally, a lot of these other symptoms, especially skin chaos can arise because it doesn't have as much time to... I mean, it's not regulating your hormones, but it's clearing the excess hormones. And if it's not doing that, then yeah, it throws off your whole hormonal motherboard. Man, so you went in with a bang. You started this off. So what was some great, you know, moment or epiphany you had while during doing the vice detox? So a big epiphany was it had to do with my partner, Charlie, who I love the name Charlie, by the way. Such a great name. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he was the main character in the book. Yeah, he um, was. <laughs> <laughs> but again, in, in telling like the story of how these healthy habits like actually fit into real life. So I had just started dating this person, you know, a few months before deciding to start this project. But 
amidst those first few months, I was like really struggling with the idea of balancing health and hedonism because I had all of these strict protocols that were being assigned to me from my endocrinologist. But at the same time, I was like, you know, meeting this new guy who is like a class A hedonist himself. Mm -hmm. And like, I didn't want to be that girl. I wanted to be able to like, not only like go out into the world and taste our way through it together, Mm -hmm. but I also like had this, this deep seated insecurity of being the cool girl. And I talk a little bit about that in the book, but I borrow the term from Jillian Flynn's best selling thriller, Gone Girl. See, your book is a thriller. (laughs) Yeah, it's a thriller. (laughs) Um, But she, the the protagonist in that book, who, you know, turns out to be a psychopath. It's one of the Uh, best movies. I've seen that movie like 12 times. I love it. It's great. Um, I think a lot of women, like, ears like really perked up during those passages and parts of the movie. Um, Cause it's kind of this expectation that's like societal to some extent, but that we've like internalized that, you know, we need to be easygoing and drinking beer, watching football. Yeah. yeah. Eating chili cheese dogs and all that. So, <laughs> but also being a size two <laughs> and being a size two. Yeah. And just like never complaining about anything. Right. <laughs> So I think I had this deep seated cool girl that was, I was using as like a scapegoat for hedonism. You know, it wasn't the like, not that I was eating chili cheese dogs and drinking beer, but it wasn't like those things that were being, bringing me pleasure or like even my ability to have them. It was like, it was me not wanting to be difficult. Mm. So my big epiphany over the course of that month was just learning to be more comfortable with, yeah, being the problem child at the table or just like setting healthy boundaries in general. And yeah, it was, it was a lesson that was definitely not just learned within a month, um, that I had to like relearn and have it like be cemented over the course of my whole project. But yeah, if there's any one big epiphany, it's that like the world does not fall down when you set healthy boundaries and you don't have to be the cool girl because, you know, friends will forgive and any partner that's worth keeping will forgive too and understand. Yeah. And how cool can you be if you feel like crap? Exactly. Right? Seriously. That's, you know, first and foremost, feel good and then you'll be cool to be around. But if you're just eating like crap and you feel like crap, you're going to be a bitch to be around and that's not cool at all. (laughs) That's right. I mean, it goes both ways for, for partners. You can affect your health like a tremendous amount. And the stereotype is that it does affect more women because we tend to be healthier. Mm. <laughs> but, um, and men t- tend to be what my friend Serena calls nutritional idiots. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it, it's a struggle that a lot of people face in partnerships when, yeah. you know, they're not necessarily on the same page health wise. Or again, like when someone, you know, has a condition that forces them to eat a certain way right. or to live a certain way. Yeah. It's about compromising and, and being honest about, you know, you don't want to sit at the table and be the most high maintenance person just to be annoying. But if you have, it's about owning, you know, the way you eat and, and doing it without resentment towards your partner who might not be doing the caffeine alcohol detox with you. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it was, I struggled, I guess, less so for me not doing it and more like, oh, well, I mean, 
it sucks for him that like, he's not going to have one (laughs) that I made him. Um, that was like my come to Jesus moment, like right at the beginning of the project was he actually showed up at my doorstep and I had like made an indulgent meal to like make up for all my restrictions. And he had like brought wine with him because he had forgotten. (laughs) 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 So was doing the detox great? Did you feel amazing? And what's like a hack that you could give us to try doing um, our own vice detox? Yeah, absolutely. Um, It really did work. Oh my God. I'm sure. I mean, those are the three big whammies. Yeah. But even, I mean, that's what's so amazing is that sometimes I think it does take an extreme to find the middle ground going forward. So like, obviously I wasn't going to give up these things for the rest of the year or for life. Um, but just those four weeks, my skin condition, which was called, um, perioral dermatitis is just this horrible rash that like was determined to become one with the pigment of my mouth. Um, (laughs) but yeah, it, it had been cropping up for, for years again, disassociated from like other chaos, whatever lessons learned. (laughs) Um, but it had been, you know, pretty much cropping up once a year. And then at the point of my wellness project, epiphany had been like cropping up every other week and like refused to go away. Um, but literally it completely calmed. I took a a detox selfie every morning without makeup (laughs) to see how things were going. And by the end of just those four weeks, it was almost, you know, completely calmed. And then I kid you not, Talia, it has never come back. Wow. <laughs> huh. So, but, you've, yeah. but you've incorporated caffeine, sugar, and alcohol back in? I have, but I definitely have more moderation mm-hmm. for all of those now going forward. Having experienced, you know, the real effects of taking them away. But um, mm. yeah, and like the balance changes from week to week. There are certainly weeks when I overdo it on all of those fronts. Yeah. Caffeine has been the one that I've had the easiest time staying off of. I don't really drink coffee anymore, except for like occasionally on weekends, actually, just because I like the taste. Right. But yeah, I, I think it's just like finding, managing those three as, you know, just additional tools in my toolbox. I know that if my skin acts up again, I can take those three out for like a quick reset. That's great. Um, but yes, in terms of a hack, I don't know. That's what's tough for me. I'm not, I don't know that I'm that into hacks. I think it's important to kind of really experience like the naked results and then like the hacks going forward or like the, the healthy hedonist tips, as I call them in the book. Yeah. Like, points of moderation going forward. Um, a great one for alcohol that actually Charlie, my partner's um, co-worker does is he does one month out of every year, one week out of every month and one day out of every week sober. Wait, so one full month out of every year mm-hmm. and so then like dry January. Okay. And then a random week every other month. No, every month, like the rest of the months. Besides, I mean, January yeah, would already yeah. count. So like, and I've kept up with that. So one week out of every month, I give myself that little reset. Oh, cool. And then one day a week. Yeah, which like hopefully is not that hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I love that. That's awesome. I feel like I would love to do that. Yeah, and it just forces you to think about it, especially, I mean, you can always make excuses, but I actually think it really helps to build like the emotional fortitude around alcohol as like a social crutch or even as just like a default to like force yourself, even if there's like going to be a dinner or what have you where you might feel uncomfortable to just Mm -hmm. say like, no, I'm doing it and like 
people or adults will understand that I'm not drinking for whatever reason. Totally. And if they don't, just say you're on antibiotics. Ah, oh, good. <laughs> That's a hack. <laughs> yeah, there's your hack. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> okay, so the next thing you did, the next month of your wellness journey was green beauty. As you were mentioning before, you were transitioning to more natural skin products. Yes. So that was like a real... I mean, it wasn't the final frontier because I tackled it second, second in my project, but it was definitely something that like I was aware of for a long time. But, you know, our, the fact that our generic uh, personal care products have a lot of chemicals in them, especially endocrine disrupting chemicals. So chemicals mm-hmm. that are particularly um, troublesome for your hormones. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I was aware that these were things that were probably not helping my Hashimoto's for a while. But um, I think because of my skin issues and just being really married to my routine, I was just resistant to making the change. And also, I mean, I felt like I had been troubleshooting my my one routine like for years. Like I'm not a very high maintenance person. Like I had been using the same like 10 things every day for a while. Mm -hmm. So yeah, for whatever reason, I felt very married to that. Um, But yes, over the course of that experiment, I just slowly transitioned away from my usual skincare and eventually makeup. And then also as kind of a, a secondary tool was I did makeup free Mondays, which is maybe, yeah, this could even be your hack. Here we go. Yeah. Some of the, the problems with natural beauty, um, is that, I mean, it really, it's getting better and has changed actually so much since I even did my project and I've found like even more amazing products, but no, I mean, without the synthetic stabilizers, like some items like don't act the way generic makeup acts. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. And one of them is I, I feel like it's not quite as covering in what eventually what inevitably ended up being a good way, I think, but it took a little time for me to like detox from just like the image of myself in my perfectly made up face. So uh-huh. going makeup free on Mondays, I think like weaned me off mindless makeup. It forced me to like have a little self love, like for my face that like had a ton of imperfections at the time. And yeah, it it kind of just, I was wearing like a whole face of makeup cooking alone in my apartment every single day, like, which sounds crazy, you know, if you're not someone who wears a lot of makeup, but if you're someone where that's like your main insecurity, Mm. I mean, it sounds so silly, but like makeup free Monday was really hard for me. Um, But ultimately I think it gave way, like set the stage for me being able to switch to natural products that maybe like didn't cover me in the same way that my, Clinique super powder. Nice. Well, that's cool. That's kind of like meatless Mondays. Yeah. (laughs) But makeupless Mondays. I love that. That's so great. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely been advances, amazing advances in natural skincare products. We actually just had Adina Grigori on the show to talk about her amazing SW basics. So there's so much out there now, but I definitely think there is, you know, a detox process that you go through. And emotionally, like when you're used to putting on makeup every single day, the same way you're used to brushing your teeth every single day, I can imagine that the makeup free Mondays is a big step because just not brushing my teeth on a day would be weird. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So that's great. And I will say too, like I, when I say that the products, the natural products aren't as good or don't act the same, I'm really just talking about makeup, like skincare 
very easy baby step. Like right. start by switching your moisturizer and your cleanser, like do it tonight. Cause <laughs> those, there's such great options out there and they really will feed your skin. I think you'll, you'll see a difference just in the quality of it. Um, and then seeing a difference just from giving it a break. Yeah. Um, it's like the ultimate irony, like the skin that we feel most insecure about showing to the world is like probably like the face that could benefit from like, not being like spackled every day. That's exactly what Adina said. You know, she just one day just stopped using all her products and it made all of her skin problems really go away. Yeah, it's crazy. crazy. Um, so yeah, that would be like the warm up lap. Make it pre Monday, <laughs> switch your your moisturizer and your your cleanser, and then you can work your way up to to makeup. Love it. So the next month, I love this month because this speaks to me, which was, well, it was kind of a combination. It was like an anti-inflammatory eating month. But then also, I guess through that, you really learned that you should try to not eat with stress or beat yourself up with stress. And, you know, the whole discussion that eating while you're stressed or beating yourself up causes even worse problems to begin with, right? That's kind of what this month was, the third month. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's funny. Like my editor was like, what did you do this month? Like, it's so confusing. It's hard to like, yeah, it was hard. I mean, I listen to me. I I just like rambled on. Yeah. Like that was the whole point is like, it was so, I was so confused by (laughs) the conversation and food that I felt like the experiment was like finding my food rules. Mm. And I wasn't quite sure. Like, I mean, like I couldn't even figure out what experiments to try for this one, but yeah, I ended up like, going with a quote unquote anti-inflammatory diet, but then it's like, well, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Um, Cause everyone has a different interpretation or not everyone, but a lot of medical mm-hmm. professionals have different interpretations and they all have science backing their conflicting outlooks. <laughs> and yeah, it's really hard to know um, who to trust. And ultimately like, you know, kind of the point of the whole project is like, you just have to try it for yourself and see how you feel. Um, So yeah, I really felt torn between um, a lot of the prevailing autoimmune anti-inflammatory diets were paleo and really heavy on the protein. Mm -hmm. And I like lean more plant in my outlook and um, didn't really feel like it was, you know, helping my inflammation to be eating you know, half my plate is meat. So I kind of, I, I oscillated between the few, the two. Um, I tried to, to eat like plant-based for, for some of my meals of the day. And then if I was eating meat to try and not have grains with it. Yeah. And honestly, my life still, still follows that kind of doing the line mm-hmm. and it works for me. It works for me. Well, you got to figure out what works for you for sure. That's what this was all about. <laughs> yeah, girl. Literally. But yes, anti-inflammatory month and my, not, my, again, not a hack. What you should do as like step one is go on an elimination diet and find out what actually is a trigger food for you. Because again, none of the like science arguments matter if it's, you know, not, not, they're not all going to necessarily be true for you. So. And when you say trigger food, you mean like, what do you mean? Food that makes you just feel like crap? Yeah. So <laughs> like a traditional allergy or just a sensitivity or yeah, again, just makes you feel like crap. It was interesting to me to read your story about the tabbouleh. Yeah. So another um, emotional moment around my new relationship. Um, But yeah, that, that story was again, kind of learning to embrace being the problem child. Um, But yeah, the first time I met Charlie's father, um, 
they invited me over for dinner at him and his stepmother's house. And I think he had told them that I don't eat gluten, but who knows? Anyway, she had prepared this like tabbouleh appetizer and they're like a very formal Bosby family. And I just like couldn't say anything. I really, you know, (laughs) actually, do you watch Friends? Uh, Yes. Do you know when Phoebe, ironically, Phoebe meets Mike's parents? I don't have encyclopedic knowledge probably because like I felt like everyone just would always be like, I need Phoebe like Phoebe. Uh, well, anyway, she's crazy. You're not. But oh, right, she, I'm like, no, I'm not. Like no, Phoebe, you're not so. like Phoebe. All I was saying is that she meets Mike's parents. Mike is paid by um, Paul Rudd. And they are these like Upper West Side or Upper East Side. I can't remember which side, but like totally proper. They have like multiple floors in their home. They have like a beautiful house. And she has to go in there and say, I'm vegetarian. And I guess Mike might have miscommunicated it and they gave her veal and it was literally like the same experience oh you have. God. You have I can't to watch. I've it. never seen this episode. Yes, and she eats it. Thing. She's been vegetarian forever and she eats it cuz she doesn't want to you know look bad in front of his like really intense like rich like proper family and I mean, then she vomits amazing. in this closet. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that makes me feel a lot better about my like insecurities in the moment and also just like not speaking up. Yeah. Uh, Because that's even, yeah, that's even worse. I know. So (laughs) that's so funny. And literally she's your namesake. But yeah, I guess, you know, that was, yeah, that happened. And that was really nice because, you know, I think a lot of, like I keep saying for me, the biggest thing that I want to help people with is just to not be stressed while you're doing healthy things. And that chapter really, to me, illustrated your journey of wanting to be so good, quote unquote, good about your diet, but also seeing how that desire to be quote unquote good caused you stress and how to balance that. Totally. And I mean, I think all women, I mean, and men too, all again, people, yeah. stereotyping, but like there is a fine line between any sort of restriction and obsession. Mm-hmm. And I think most women have had like a complicated relationship with food in their lives. Like I don't really have any friends who have like had a totally like right <laughs> easy going chill like food. chill relationship yeah. with food for their entire lives. And like I'd say like prior to the gluten and like minus the stomach aches every day, I had like evolved into having like a really, you know, I don't I guess it wasn't healthy because I was eating things that made me like super sick, but emotionally healthy relationship with food after having like had some years of not feeling that way. And my resistance to having any sort of restriction, including gluten, was like partially for my career and what that would mean, but also because I just like worried about ever getting back to that place mm-hmm. and seeing all these like, you know, autoimmune paleo diet, like which is really restrictive and eliminates a lot of like also like really healthy foods, quote unquote, healthy foods too. Um, Yeah, I just never wanted to to feel that way. And I could feel myself like not just with food, but with, you know, the water with the chemicals, like with everything that I had to consider from my holistic doctors, like dipping back into that unhealthy place. Yeah. So yeah, again, that's why I like couldn't decide what. <laughs> yeah. To do at the beginning of that. 
Well, the next one is pretty decisive. And this was like probably, I don't know, the the easiest one for you maybe, which was turning cooking into a habit because you're already a chef. So that was kind (laughs) of like an easy one for you, right? You just phone it in that week? (laughs) Uh, No. I I mean, it was was actually, um, yeah, so like the curriculum did change a lot since I like first conceived of it because I think I was supposed to be doing um, just like one food month. And then I ended up like, because of the anti-inflammatory eating month and like facing so many issues when I was going out to eat at restaurants, which like, you know, still happens. So yeah. eat at restaurants. But I did kind of realize like, you know, that I wasn't always living my message or like practicing what I preached in terms of the actual cooking. Like, obviously, I did a lot of recipe development and like, tons of work like for the blog and did tons of work for clients in their homes. But I think because of that, I wasn't as good about the actual cooking as self-care. Mm. And I think it actually is something that a lot of us bloggers, what have you, food professionals can get away from totally. because it is, it's work. So I really want to like hone back in on kind of cooking habit that a normal person, the average person who's not like making carrot cake pancakes for Instagram in the uh-huh. morning. Like, Thank you. <laughs> doing. Yeah. And also like cooking normal foods, like the, the foods I was developing were not always like a meal. Right. Um, sometimes they're not like margarita days. And <laughs> <laughs> nice. so yeah, so my challenge that month was batch cooking. Um, so setting aside a weekend afternoon, um, sometimes a weeknight afternoon just to like batch cook meal prep for the week ahead. And it forced me to like really like get back to like the root of why I like to cook and get back to some of the like really homey, humble recipes that like wouldn't get a lot of likes on Instagram, but is really <laughs> like at the heart of what it takes to like, quote unquote, be healthy. And yeah. To and to nourish ourselves, which is what, you know, cooking is self-care is all about. That's great. So would you say that a great way to start, you know, making cooking for yourself a new habit would be to batch cook? Yeah. And I would say like the baby step there is just do like one or two recipes, like one or two one pot recipes. And if you're worried about working your way through them, or you have a ton of plans um, at night that require you to eat meals out on the town, then just brown bag your lunch. I think like brown bagging Flash like lunch as a meal is like a great gateway to um, getting more of a handle on your eating habits and also like taking back more control of your meals because you're just like hmm. most of us are left to our own devices at lunch. It's less of a social hour. There's lunch sucks. I hate judgment. lunch. It is <laughs> my least. Yeah. I hate it for everything you're saying. I mean, well, not I'm not really that like working for yourself. Lunch would be a social thing, but. I think it's like it interrupts my day. I don't want to shift from work mode to like, what do I have for lunch mode? It's just, I don't know. I hate lunch. And so I like the idea. Girl, your lunch. I should brown. I should do that. I should brown bag my lunch and bring it to my own fridge as I work in my home. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to actually, you know, Maybe you I can will. just like reheat it. But at least it'll happen. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So batch cooking. Yeah. I think, I mean, well, I always kill it at lunch when I do, you know, make myself a chili or something, you know, every time I cook, I make sure I have enough, like I'll, I'll make extra for leftovers for the week. And, and then I kill it for lunch, but when I'm just left on my own to figure out a lunch, it is like a disaster. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm feeling that right now. I've been so like flustered with launch and had so much going on. I have not been living by my batch cooking message. And like oh, today at lunch, I was just like eating sad leftovers from Charlie's mother's <laughs> dinner <laughs> out last night that he brought home, which was like, like literally like his like <laughs> scraps. Oh plate. my God. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. I had a protein waffle for lunch today. So that's how great my life's going. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> um, yeah. So, well, I love that. That's great. I That's some habit I need to work on. And absolutely, that's a tough one. But the next one is a pretty straightforward one. It's just to, you know, be a little bit more hydrated, right? To create a lasting hydration habit. Yes. So like part A was, okay, um, how much water should I be drinking? It's half your body weight in ounces. And then trying to like, you know, keep a reusable water bottle on me, keep a pitcher on my desk with that amount. So I was like running through it, killed that challenge, totally nice. easy. But part two was like, okay, well, like, what water should I be drinking? And yeah. another yeah, point on my militant endocrinologist list was that I had to be filtering my tap water because fluoride and chlorine is very problematic for thyroid health. Oh. And of course, like, the options for filters are not ideal. They're either super expensive or super not space efficient. Yes. And at the time of this project, I was living in a 400 square foot studio in oh Chelsea, an area of Manhattan. So 400 square yeah. feet. And it's a rental. So I wasn't going to like, like install. Invest. Right. Yeah. Like the $300 unit, if I owned my apartment, like which had to be installed in the sink, like I recommend that for anyone who's a homeowner. Like that's a great long term <laughs> investment. But yeah, for me, there just weren't a whole lot of options. So anyway, the option I went with actually didn't filter fluoride, but it was one of those like healthy hedonism, hard choices, uh-huh. you know, like I didn't have the counter space. I didn't have the money for the fancier version. So I started there. So what did you get? I got a solid carbon block filter that attached to my faucet. So um, it kind of like had just like a separate spout and I could flip it back and forth from the sink. Nice. So it was actually, it was, it was pretty easy to install. I got a TaskRabbit to do it. Nice. <laughs> one might have been able to do it on their own. <laughs> one might, but not all ones. Who knows? Yes. Cool. So it sounds like something that somebody listening could do. I mean, first and foremost, just drink enough water, right? I mean, would you say that comes before stressing over what type of water? Correct. Correct. But I will say it was such an easy thing to do, like setting yourself up for success at home in that way so that you never have to think about it again. Like it's so much easier than worrying about buying organic or not organic or going out to eat and eating organic versus not organic, which is something that like, in theory, we have to think about three times a day. Mm-hmm. Um, but just, yeah, getting some of those chemicals out of your water, buying a hundred dollar filter, which lasts for the entire year. That's the problem with the pitchers is that you have to replace them like every two months. So it actually ends up adding up to the same amount. So oh. I would highly recommend just buying the one for your sink. Yeah. It Um, it takes up less room too. Oh yeah. And then like, yeah, that's one less thing on this, you know, in this crazy toxic universe that I have to worry about. Yeah. And you already cleaned up your skincare and makeup. So we're going right through the list here. Like that and the water one time changes, like the endocrine disruptors, like it's not as easy to tell like night and day when you make the changes, like how you feel, but all of those things really added up for me, I think. Yeah. And was it 
was it fun going through this process? Because I mean, I mean, it sounds so organized and it sounds like, I don't know. I'm just, it sounds like it could be fun if you're like a very organized person and you like, you like. I wasn't that organized. I'll tell you, I was not that organized. So like, then the book was organized. Like a, what actually helped me stay more organized was the accountability of my blog. So every month I would do like an intro post and like kind of a conclusion post. Um, But it wasn't always like I wasn't always flowing with the exact March 1st to the end of March timeline. So, yeah, it was more, again, like honoring the like one step after the other. Right. More so than the strict timeline. And I also I did a lot of experiments that didn't make it into the book. Like I did try some other things along the way. Like, I don't know, like the green beauty stuff. I did that in tandem with some of the eating. There was, there was a little bit more like wiggle room in terms of the lengths of time. But um, yeah, for the sake of like writing a book that didn't confuse people, I tried to like keep it within the Yeah, well, it was, it's very organized to read. So that's that's very, very helpful. It's a really, really organized, inspiring. You know, it's, it's like each chapter, each of these habits we're going through you kind of make them into their own mini book. Like you explain it, you you tell us stories about it, and then you leave us with so many tips and, and walk awayable advice and recipes. So it's it's cool how each of these habits, you know, you kind of break into like a mini um, lesson. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was like when I was in the in the weeds writing the book, I would like cry to Charlie and be like, I mean, that's like writing 12 different books. Yeah, that's what it felt like. That's literally what it feels like. Yeah, there was just so much research. I was like, I can't possibly like keep up with it all. But um, yeah, I made it. I did it. You did it. And I know you've written a cookbook, but have you written much like this before? Because you're a hilarious writer, like laugh out loud funny. Oh my God, from you, that is the biggest compliment. Oh, thanks, but no, I'm serious. I mean, it was a real like intellectual challenge. Wow. Um, my first cookbook was actually also kind of a weird hybrid. It had a lot more story to it than the average cookbook and was not like organized like a normal cookbook. Um, but yeah, this like, you know, different writing gear, writing yeah, a 300 I mean, this yeah. Narrative. Yeah. We keep saying it was a story, a thriller, a memoir, <laughs> a educational book, a little bit of a cookbook with a few recipes. Did you write it while you were going through it or did you finish? Did. So yeah. the whole thing from start to finish was pretty much a year? Yeah, oh, for the wow. most part. I mean, I, I regret having done that. Um, <laughs> Glad you're being honest. <laughs> there was, no, I, there was a whole year probably after that, maybe a little less, like nine months of editing, which is not normal wow. for, for, for books. Um, but I think it was because I didn't have the proper time to like really marinate on everything. And like when I handed in the manuscript, it didn't have the like epilogue, obviously. Um, <laughs> and some of the conclusions needed to be worked on because I just didn't have the luxury of hindsight. And so much right. of that. You just need to marinate on some of the learnings. So yeah, if if I had it all to do over again, I mean, it was great. It kept me on task with like really writing my way, writing as I went along and getting all of those stories and like initial um, initial perceptions and experiences down on paper. But I probably should have asked for more time to just like live with it afterwards. Mm. Well, okay. I know this might be a spoiler for anyone who reads the book, which should be everyone, but did, did it work? Did the the project yeah. work? Like, did you find that sweet really spot did. between healthy and happy? <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, I say the book, like it's not, 
it was never going to be like finding the rule book and writing it down. Like now I've got my rules to live by. It's a lot more fluid than that when we take these habits and really apply them to real life. And, you know, I think I wrote something like every day I have to find a new balance. And it's so true because every day is a different beast. It brings you like a different set of variables. And that's why I think just like kind of building my toolkit over the course of the year was so important because then I can pick and choose, you know, kind of which of those things I apply every day. It's, I don't aim for perfect. None of us should. And just having that and knowing it makes me feel more on the offense, on Mm. the offensive, whereas before I was maybe doing a lot of the same things, but it just felt like I was on the defensive. I wasn't doing it with knowledge and awareness and believing in my heart that they would work. Um, But just in terms of, you know, of the on paper stuff. Yeah, like my blood work was like, I was like a malnourished child in Africa when I started the project. (laughs) And by the end, yeah, every all of my numbers, except for, you know, my thyroid will always be kind of a moving target. And honestly, sometimes like it's just stress that causes me to go off the rails a little bit with my antibodies. But um, everything else is in the range of normal. My energy is in the range of normal. And again, my skin has never acted up again. It's kind of crazy. I also was throwing my back out all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, we still have the six to bang through here, but that was the next one. And we'll go really fast through them, but you brought up back. So I'm just going to jump right on it, which the next month that we left off at was back habits, which was really interesting because I've never thought about that for more than a second posture and like back habits. (laughs) Unless you have back pain and like there are a lot of closet people out there who experience this. Like say closet people. Yeah. I mean no, I mean that's funny. When you're like in your twenties, like no one's talking about like, oh my back. But like (laughs) I know a lot of people who when I started opening up about the fact that I was like throwing my back out every three months, like in a really serious way, they were like, oh my God, me too. Um but yeah, so like for that month long challenge I tried to like change my my desk habits but Mm. eventually that was one that kind of morphed into like a multi-month you know it's like you can't like rehabilitate like your back overnight um but yeah it's I like really delved into kind of like the emotional source of some of the pain I delved into um some of the structural stuff I worked with a body worker to kind of reset my pelvis and do some exercises to re-stabilize Yeah. Resetting your pelvis. That sounds great. Yeah. Wonderful. The pelvis, the root of everything. So my takeaway from that chapter, I think, would be to get a better desk chair. I mean, that's certainly I don't know. What would you say is a big one that people can take away from? Oh, standing. Standing every hour. Every 45 yeah, minutes. It was like getting up and moving. So I was my fun hack for that one is actually I realized that just by staying hydrated, I was getting up and moving more often because ah, I or refill my water glass. So just focus on the hydration. It's so up. funny. It just naturally makes you get up to pee. Ah, that's great. Two birds, one stone. Yeah. So speaking of getting up to pee, the next month you did movement, which I was just, you know, exercising more and walking more. Yeah, so I tried to do 30 minutes of movement every day. It could just be like a walk around the block for 30 minutes. Um, But then I also like really wanted to diversify. So I tried to do two new classes every week. And I'm someone who had like never tried organized fitness beyond New York City. So I tried a lot of different things to see if there would be like a fitness shoe that fit. And honestly, none of them did. Wow. 
all they all gave you blisters or yeah, <laughs> yeah left me like super exhausted so huh. i ended up yeah just finding that my sweet spot was like pilates and yoga that's great i mean the, you learn and then you come back to what works yeah exactly so yeah try yeah just experiment and don't feel that the crazy boutique fitness craze that is happening now necessarily needs to be for you. Totally. Exactly. I love that. That's really freeing, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah, it was freeing for me. I was like, okay, I've done it all. Well, not at all, but I was like, I've done a lot and I'm not interested. (laughs) I think that's a really valuable lesson. I think that there is a lot of you know, buzz out there about all these different types of workouts, so many different types of workouts, and they're not all for everyone. And I think it's really worthwhile to spend a month. Like you said, you know, we can do our own wellness projects by just picking one month and one habit to kind of get involved with. And I think spending a month trying out a whole bunch of different things and seeing what makes you feel the best is awesome. Yeah. And I actually, I have um, kind of a sample menu that you can download on my site. Oh, it's cool. not up there now, but I'm saying it out loud to force nice. <laughs> We're going to hold you accountable. No, it exists because it's what my, my launch team used as their kind of guide to their four weeks to wellness project. But if you go to feedmephoebe.com slash book, then on that book page, you'll find somewhere. <laughs> to <download> that. <laughs> okay, we'll add the link officially to the show notes once it's live. Great. All links. Okay. Awesome. So let's bang through the last four habits. Next one is sleeping better. Yes. So it's like one thing to say you're going to sleep for eight hours every night. It's another thing to actually do that, especially when you have suffered with from insomnia your whole life. Um, oh, you have suffered from that too? Oh, yeah. Goodness. Um, you had yeah, it part rough. Of that hormonal. Part of that is oh, hormonal. Oh, that makes sense. Hashimoto's. Um, but yeah, for me, it wasn't actually just like about setting my alarm and getting into bed at a certain hour so I could sleep for a certain amount of time because it was about falling asleep and staying asleep more so mm-hmm. than just like spending time in my bed. Um, so actually, I did a program called CBT for, for insomnia. It's like a five-week PDF program that you can get online. And if you suffer from insomnia, I highly recommend it. Oh, that sounds great. I have some clients that could really use that. Is it a free download? Um, it's not free. I think it's like 20 bucks. Oh, that's not bad. Like that. But I've recommended it to other people and they've all reported back that it's been extremely helpful. That's great. All right. We'll link to that in the show notes too then. Great. Yay. Okay. Next is health, what I'm going to call healthier female hormone awareness. <laughs> I don't know what to yeah. call it. <laughs> So there were a few things. And that was another one where it was like kind of an exploration. Um, like I dealt with the whole the whole question around conscious contraception. And I feel like I can't even get into that right now on the <laughs> podcast. Um, but part one for me was I got off hormonal birth control before starting the wellness project. And um, I started charting my menstrual cycle using the fertility awareness method. Mm. Um yeah, that's a whole thing too. Yeah. Just read the book or Google it. <laughs> and yeah, once I did that, um, I eventually started using that as birth control, but then also um, used Alyssa Vitti's protocol um, of cycle syncing. So looking at um, where I was in my menstrual cycle from week to week and eating and exercising and just kind of like living my life um, according to my, my flow. Cool. What's that woman's name? Alyssa Beatty's? Alyssa Beatty. She okay. wrote a great book called Woman Code, and I can link to that as well. Awesome. 
So many links. Awesome. So many links. That's a cool one that I didn't expect to be in the book that I was pleasantly surprised with. Yeah. I mean, for me, at least like Hashimoto's, it's a hormonal condition. Mm, that makes and sense. You have to, yeah, be kind of in tune with what's going on with all your other hormones and your sex hormones, your sex organs are a big part of the endocrine system. Right. Well, this next one I was not surprised about at all, which is to become BFF with your gut, which is what <laughs> I'm all about. So that was great. What was some great takeaway you had from that month? Dr. Robin Chutkin was my my mentor during that month. And her whole thing is eat clean, live dirty. Mm. So it's about putting into practice some of those, those protocols. Um, but I just really tried to focus on eating like one fermented food a day. And then some of the live dirty stuff was just um, like getting rid of all the antibacterial cleaning supplies and chemical heavy cleaning supplies in my house. Yeah, I found that interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Really important for our, our microbiome. To, to stop killing every bacteria yeah. that we're that comes in contact with us. Yeah, it's hilarious. People are like buying $500 like bottles of probiotics and then just like Purelling the shit out of Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So when you say you try to eat one um, probiotic rich or fermented food a day, what are you talking about? Like kimchi, kombucha? Yeah. Kombucha, kimchi, kefir, and, um, and kraut. What's your fave? I love kraut. Yeah. Uh, well, I actually, I make my own kombucha now. Cool. Not to brag, but. No, I, that's legit. I, worth bragging. I no longer live in a 400 square foot studio and like have room for like recreational things like that. Um, <laughs> but I've actually, I'll admit, it's like, I can't believe it, but I've never made my own kraut and it's so easy. It's like, it is really easy. easy. I can kombucha. <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. If you can do that, you can make your kraut. Yeah. So I need to get on that. What do you do with kraut? Um, I put it on like my avo toast. I put it on my like scrambled eggs. I put it on everything. I mean, mm-hmm. Charlie and I, like no matter what we're eating at home, we'll kind of like pile some kraut on top. That's awesome. I love that. That's so easy to do and it lasts forever. Yeah. And like much. if I make like, you know, a not so great choice, like I order pad thai, I put mm-hmm. kraut on it. And I feel no, better. on it? <laughs> yeah, it's delicious. Okay. I'll have to give yeah, that a it's shot. It's like spicy. Mm, so right. Good. Mm. Ooh, I'm craving some kraut now. <laughs> that is healthy humanism. A bad choice. That's a good choice. <laughs> exactly. I love it. In a There's nutshell. Some on there. Like, there you go. <laughs> and just eat it with a smile. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of smile, the last habit that you implemented was stress management stuff, which I think is the icing on this whole cake. Yes. And that is something that I think will be like another wellness project in the making. But um, right. what I focused on for that month was 20 minutes of meditation a day and um, some morning journaling. Mm. So it was kind of just like trying to get my morning routine under control and making it something that like really fed me. Yeah. And I love how you wrote, what would my calm twin do right now? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) that's such a funny thought to think about, you know, when you're stressing out, like what would my calm twin do? And then sort of do that instead. <laughs> I know. I know. Dude. I need to. Oh, this week, I need to channel my calm twin. Yeah. <laughs> I love that, my calm twin. That's so funny. And so the, the 20 minutes of meditation a day was beneficial for you? Yeah. It's something that I still do. You know, I don't always have a great session. Can't say that my mind is not always racing around. But I know that just like sitting and stillness is also very therapeutic for my body on a physiological level, no matter how well I 
I feel I'm actually doing on the meditation. Right. And it's not about like being good at it. It's just about like doing it. Yeah, exactly. That habit is just about sitting every day. Yeah, which can be so hard. So simple, but so hard. Yeah. But yeah, so now I at least like dedicate time in the morning to these things instead of just like in my underwear sitting down in front of my computer (laughs) and writing emails, which is the way it used to be. Right. I feel you 100%. I think a (laughs) lot of people feel you 100%. (laughs) So out of all the lifestyle changes you made, is there one that stands out to you as being the number one most important? Oh my gosh. No, I mean, I do think the stress stuff, I think stress is the biggest, as I said before, like the biggest impediment to our health and just finding whatever it is. Again, you can try meditation out. You can try journaling out. There are so many, actually so many things to choose from for that. Um, I think, yeah, just finding Hmm. a few things to fall back on there. And even like, I take a lot of baths. Yeah. I reduce my stress. I'm like really, even though it's warm out now in New York city, I'm like crushing baths. Nice. (laughs) Do you use like salts or something cool? I do. I use salt. I use, um, essential oils, little like homemade aromatherapy. Mm. Um, also have like some magnesium spray that I put on my, my legs beforehand. Ooh, that's for relaxation. Um, yeah, I think it like in theory it does calm you, but, um, it's just a, like a lot of people are magnesium deficient right? and yeah, it's just good to get it. That's why Epsom salts are, are so powerful is because they give you magnesium. So I kind of, I don't always have like massive bags of Epsom salts on hand. So right. the, the spray is kind of my like space deficient way. Nice. That. <laughs> That's great. You should have done a whole chapter on Baz, or was that one that missed the the book? <laughs> it missed. Yeah. No. I mean, <laughs> I was incorporating them a little bit as I went. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, what's next? Like, I mean, you completed your wellness odyssey. So, what do you do now? Just like live? <laughs> yeah. No. Really. I mean, I kind of did the project so that going forward, I like wouldn't I could like throw the rule book out the window and just like have it all kind of ingrained and um yeah just like have that intuition built into my daily life because that's the thing it's like you know new practices new products like they're going to be at your doorstep every day um doing this kind of work and and building your body literacy is really about I mean yeah that body literacy is like a tool that you're carrying forward and applying to to everything that comes into your life on a daily basis. So what's next? I don't know. I don't know. And I'm still, I'm still experimenting, you know, again, it's like, there was no like finish line ever. So I'm still, still going to do that hair month. Yeah. The hair month. We'll have to read about your hair (laughs) month on your blog. Yeah. Oh, and I'm like exploring natural dental care now. That was one that I didn't face. It's another like huge conundrum of the natural living world. So yeah, I'm exploring that. I Um, actually need a new dentist, so we'll chat after. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So let me ask you a few final, just personal fun questions, and then I'll let you go back to um, crudite or whatever you're doing over there. (laughs) So do you have a favorite plant party restaurant? Plant party restaurant. Um, I love. Well, it's not fully plant, That's but fine. they have a lot of planty things. I love Who Kitchen. Mm. Um, I love Butcher's Daughter good one. in New York. Um, where else do I love? I love a lot of places. 
But yeah, those are like for planty things. That's where you like, go for good plants. Yeah, I like. Um, again, it's not full plants, but I like Nourish Kitchen and Table. They have a really good kale salad. I've never been there. Uh, oh, it's really cute, and they have kind of like a rotating um, variety of things. Their kale salad though is is full plants. Mm, yum, love kale salad. What is your favorite plant to eat? I think it changes. It evolves. I'm on like a real beet kick right now, like a mm. golden beet kick. Oh, golden beet kick. I also love leeks. I love leeks. Interesting. What do you do with leeks and what do you do with golden beets? Um, I actually, <laughs> this was not meant to be a plug, but they get roasted together oh. in one of the <laughs> recipes in my book. Um, and I actually just created a fully plant version of that recipe. But yeah, I just love braising them in the oven with white wine and lemon juice and yeah, really simple like mm. that. I think leeks braised are great. I just made a kind of like three onion dip with um with leeks. Yum. I don't know. I kind of throw them in in everything. Wow, I never use leeks. That's pretty cool. I'm inspired. They're great. <laughs> Highly recommend. All right, I'll get on the leek train. I'll try them out. <laughs> what would you say your most used kitchen tool is? My wooden spoon, which my mom gave me. Oh, that's I hope nice. it like never breaks because everything. Like a mixing spoon, like a big mixing yeah, spoon. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cute. I've never had anyone say that before. I like really? that. But it's true. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Iron skillet also given to me by my mom. Oh. Shout yeah. out to mom. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a book besides your own that's really inspired you in some awesome way? Um, I'll go back to Woman Code. It was great. It's it really covers a lot of the pieces that I lived through on the course of my project, um, but explains them in the context of hormones, which for anyone who has uh, a thyroid issue or endocrine issue, um, I think is really helpful. Great. I haven't read that, so I'm really excited to get on that. Woman Code. And finally, where can everyone go to learn more about you and the Wellness Project and all that you have to offer? They can go to my blog, feedmephoebe.com, or I have um, just kind of a more bare bones professional site that's just myname.com. And both of those sites have tabs in the nav bar that say book, <laughs> and you can click on them. Great. And it's a phenomenal book. Um, I mean, overall, would you say it was a joy to write? Are you glad you did it? Like, are you sad that it's over? Are you excited that it's out in the world? Like, what are you feeling right now? I mean, every part of the process, like, bred its own special brand of anxiety. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, it was, again, it was like a real, a real challenge. And I felt, I've never felt so, like, energized by something, even if, like, some of that energy was, like, nerve. Nervous energy. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm just really, it's, it's so meaningful to me to hear people say that they've read it cover to cover and especially people who have Hashimoto's or thyroid issues, like, and saying that it's helped them and that they've learned something from it and that they've enjoyed the read. It's a I mean, hilarious it just, read. I'm so glad. I mean, I just want, that's all I could hope for. And I, I think that you know, if it's a good read, then you will end up learning more than if it's just a dry medical book. So, Oh, yeah. Awesome. Well, congratulations. And really, you. you must feel awesome. And I'm so glad you gave us your time today. Thank you so much. Really fun. Thank you for having me. 
Thanks so much for listening to the Party in My Plants podcast. I hope you're feeling, woo, just inspired to start your own wellness project. Remember, just choose one aspect of your health to focus on at a time. It's like, how are you going to know if it's the shirt or the pants that don't look good with the outfit if you just take them both off, right? Okay, well, anyway, all the show notes from this episode, which I think are the most extensive show notes thus far, are all at partyinmyplants.com slash 37, as is the place where you can sign up for my free Eat More Plants email class. So what you're waiting for? Hustle on over there, partyinmyplants.com slash 37.